You are listening to the cycling podcast of the 2023 Tour de France. Today we're in Issoire. Welcome to the Cycling Podcast. My name is Lionel Burney and I'm joined, as I have been since the start in Bilbao, by Mitch Docker, former professional rider, veteran of multiple Giro d'Italia and Vuelta a España, host of the excellent Life in the Peloton podcast. Good evening, Mitch. Thank you, Lionel. That is uh, one of the best intros you've done <laughs> for the whole tour. Is that because I mentioned your podcast? <laughs> well, no, you gave me a pretty good rap as a pro as well. Yeah. Thank you. Great to be here. It is great to be here. And we are joined by another former rider and podcaster, former Team Sky rider, rode the Tour de France in 2018 for Team Katusha and host of Breakfast with Boz. Joining us for the middle week of the Tour de France, Ian Boswell. Welcome to Clément Ferrand and the Tour de France. It's good to be here. I've been listening uh, to your journey to get to this point. So it's nice to actually be with the two of you and uh, yeah, on the tour. Well, it's nice that you brought the absolutely sweltering weather with you, Ian. It's been extremely hot here today, hasn't it? Mid-30s, probably higher than that, really, this afternoon. But you've come fresh from the Etape du Tour, Ian, where I'm reliably informed you finished 103rd out of the 16,000 starters in a time of 5 hours, 17 minutes. Really tough stage of the Tour, which they'll be tackling later in the race over the Plan. How was it? Oh, it was awesome to ride in the Alps again, especially on closed roads with that many people. A little chaotic just with, with so many people out on the roads, and uh, it was quick, it was fast, but it was also kind of nice to see what's coming for the Tour later this week. The winner did it in 4 hours 31. It'll be interesting to see what the winner of the Tour de France stage takes to cover that course. A big shout-out to one of our producers as well, Adam Bowie, who finished 3,300th or thereabouts having completed the course in 7 hours 25. And a shout-out to a couple of friends of the podcast, Julian Thornley and Stephen Harris. They were both wearing their MAP cycling podcast jerseys, spotted each other in the crowd, introduced themselves to one another, and uh, Julian said, someone shouted on the Col de Faux, where are we, Lionel? And I suppose the answer was, well, I'm on the Col de Faux. <laughs> I actually saw one of these uh, riders at the finish. I didn't say hi. I, was d- I went down and jumped in the river, but I saw the... Uh cycling podcast map kit uh they were sitting in the grass and looked like they were resting after a hard ride so yeah congratulations on finishing because it was also a hot day up there on uh the Juplan. well talking about hard rides it's that time of day it's time for the tale of the attack stage 10 of the tour de france after the rest day of course from the volcanic theme park did you know that was a theme park where we were this morning we couldn't go in and see what was the theme but the theme was volcanoes because it's right in the heart of the volcanic area here in the massive central and the stage was 167 kilometers over to Isoire and it was up and down all day a really classic massive central style stage lots of third category climbs and a second category climb and stinking hot weather as I said everyone in ice vests at the start And I mean, summing up a stage like that in a couple of minutes is virtually impossible. So I'm just going to give you the headlines. There were so many attacks right from the start. Stage was uphill from the beginning. The Col de la Moreno splits absolutely everywhere. Really hard to keep track of who was where because at one point Jonas Vingegaard and Tadej Pogacar were in the second group. Then suddenly they were in the first group. Then suddenly they were in the second group again breaks all over the place riders who featured uh, significantly in the later part of the stage included Mikhail Kwiatkowski, Matthias Gilmoser and Chris Nalens they were among the early riders to get clear we saw Roman Bardet of Team DSM go up the road and then get dropped Wout van Aert was back and forwards I mean the race was absolutely chaotic after the second climb, Julian Alaphilippe's Sudal Quickstep and Matej Mohoric of Bahrain Victorious were away, and that looked like a strong enough move, but they couldn't make it stick. And then a front group kind of came together thanks to waves of attacks, and at the front was Esteban Chavez, Kasper Askreen, Peo Bilbao, Skelmosa, uh, Georg Zimmerman, Nick Schultz and Warren Barguil, and then they were followed by a group that contained Julian Alaphilippe, Ben O'Connor, Nylans and Kwiatkowski and there was a phase of the race where Chavez was clear on his own then Chris Nylans made a little move and that really was the beginning of the end of the stage and then all of a sudden we saw Wout van Aert and Matthew van der Poel attack the peloton 
going clear on their own, trying to close a two minute 30 gap up to the front of the race. They didn't make it. And so it was the battle for the stage, stage win up front. Nick Schultz, Israel Premier Tech rider, teammate of Nylans, of course, helped to soften them up. And then Nylans went with 32 kilometers to go and looked really, really strong, gave it absolutely everything. And as he came down the descent with the nine kilometers of flat to the finish, his lead was a tenuous 20 or 30 seconds, but he was looking pretty good. And then there was this group behind, which had Chavez, Bilbao, O'Connor in it, and then the Alaphilippe group behind. And I wonder whether it would all come back together at the finish. It didn't quite. Nailands was caught with three kilometres or so to go. And then on the very final run in, Ben O'Connor chanted his arm first, then went Bilbao, then Zimmerman and Bilbao reacted. And it was Zimmerman and Bilbao who went away to contest the sprint. And the Spaniard took his first Tour de France stage win. He's won a couple at the Giro before. And he has jumped up the GC as well because the peloton, or what was left of it, was th almost three minutes back. So he has moved up from 11th to 5th, now 4.34 behind. The leaders, Peo Bilbao of Bahrain, victorious today's stage winner. Top four overall stays the same. Vingegaard, 17 seconds ahead of Pogacar. Jai Hindley in third at 2.40 and Carlos Rodriguez of Ineos at 4.22. But maybe not Ineos for much longer. Lots of reports that he is going to join Movistar next season and that the deal was agreed yesterday. The other big story, Fabio Jakobsen, Sudal quick-step sprinter, still suffering from that crash. Dropped early, very long, hard stage for him. Finished in the last group, 34 minutes down inside the time cut with a couple of teammates for company and Caleb Ewan and two other Lotto Destiny riders in there as well. But really one of those stages where very hard to sum up in a couple of minutes, but a great win for Peo Bilbao, normally thought of as a climber. He needed his climbing legs today, but then he produced the finish in Isoire this evening. And we're going to talk about the stage next. And of course, it was an emotional and significant win for the Bahrain victorious squad after their teammate Gino Maida died in the Tour of Switzerland a few weeks ago. Chute, chute à l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast, team car, the back of the pack, please. That's Seb Piquet, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind me to tell you that this episode of our Tour de France coverage is sponsored by the Hammerhead Carew 2, the most advanced GPS cycling computer available today. And I can vouch for that because the Carew 2 guided us all around Scotland when we did our Tour de Cosse ride last year. I plotted all of the routes in the Hammerhead dashboard, uploaded them to the Carew 2, and then followed the yellow line from A to B. And even when we went on a small detour, the Carew 2 would get us to our destination with the minimum of fuss. There wasn't that irritating turnaround where possible phenomenon that you get with some GPS units. The Carew 2 is smart enough to realise that you've intentionally gone off course and will plot your way to the destination with the minimum of fuss. The thing that I really like about the Carew 2 is the climber feature. It's actually really helped me with my climbing because it helps you to visualise what is ahead of you. It's like having the road book on your handlebars, you can see just how far there is to go to the top, how steep it is, and that helps you to pace your effort. You can import routes from Strava and Komoot. It's really easy to plot your own routes in the dashboard, and the touchscreen is really intuitive and responsive. It's kind of like a phone screen, really. It works really well. And the screen has a sort of matte finish to it, which makes it really easy to see, even in bright sunlight. If you would like to get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Hammerhead Crew 2, go to hammerhead.io right now, use the promo code CYCLE at checkout, and you will get your heart rate monitor along with the Hammerhead Crew 2. This is an exclusive offer for all of our listeners, so you need the promo code CYCLE and you can get the free heart rate monitor with the purchase of the Carew 2. Go to hammerhead.io, add both of the items to your shopping cart, and use the promo code CYCLE at checkout. And those details are in our show notes. Well, he gave it absolutely everything. Yeah, man. Yeah, like Chris was, uh, he was, he had super, super, super energy today, man. He was in every breakaway, he was in every attack. He went solo in the end. He like, well, he did everything to win. And what can you say? It's, uh, it's heartbreaking, heartbreaking for what a ride he did. Oh, unbelievable. I mean, how much of a lift was Mike winning the day before the rest day? The team must have come into today on such a high. Yeah, no, we, we knew we knew we had to take it on the front and uh, all the beginning attacks, Chris was in and then Nick Schultz was in and. Dylan Tunes was trying. We were we were in everything we were in everything we could be in, and even right to the very very last two uh, K. So, 
yeah, we gave it all, and Nylands gave it all, and it's unfortunate we, did, we didn't get the victory today, but uh, there's more bike races. There is indeed. Thank you very much. That was Steve Bauer, part of the management team at Israel Premier Tech, talking about his rider, Chris Nylands, and the disappointment, and I witnessed that disappointment after the finish line. He was absolutely soaking, just must have been sweating for, well, how long did it take? Three hours, 52 minutes very disappointed too didn't want to talk to the media and also was whisked off to the doping control but as Steve Bauer said there did absolutely everything to try and win the stage and what a stage it was I mean one of those Tour de France stages that I mean must really take its toll coming only halfway through the race well that's the thing like I could see it this morning I could feel the anxiety between the riders and I'm sure Boz felt that too as you first of all if you see the trainers set up Outside the bus, you know it's an uphill start. It's one of those days. And you're in person. I don't know about you, Boz. You can say in a minute, but I used to hate these days. Uphill starts. You knew it was just going to be on from the gun, from the uphill start. So look, and it was. It just did not slow down. There were just groups everywhere. And like I said before, Boz, could you feel the anxiety of the other guys out there? Yeah, I mean, I just came in yesterday, and you know, the riders had a rest day, so you never know how riders are going to come out of a rest day. You know, some people come out really well other riders don't really know how they're going to feel so you jump on the trainer you warm up you don't really know what your legs are going to do especially in the heat until you actually get out there and you know starting with a cat three climb anything can happen and you know when we first saw images of you know the gc riders up front hitting it you know straight away that it's going to be a hard hard day and with the heat today i mean you guys haven't really had this heat yet on the tour and that and that always plays uh plays a big role on on how different riders perform you know the bigger guys as well like makes it so much more challenging to be you know a big sprinter with hills coming out of a rest day because it tends to be that sprinters do less on rest days than gc riders you know i'm not sure what you did on rest days in the grand tours but being someone who usually tries to go for in the mountains i would actually do a two-hour ride with maybe 10 minute 10 minutes of threshold someone like marcel Cato wouldn't even leave the hotel and so there could have been sprinters yesterday who didn't do anything and they probably caught themselves a little bit uh, off guard today when when the race started <laughs> i mean we we have to give credit to Peo Bilbao and Bahrain Victorious for their stage win, but it, the, the, the fact that Israel Premier Tech had won just before the rest day with Mike Woods on Le Puy de Dorme, and they came out all guns blazing this mm. morning, and, well, Nick Schultz was in that move as well. And I don't think it's any coincidence, is it, that so many teams had two riders in there. Bahrain Victorious also had Mate Mohoric aggressive in the middle part of the stage, Teams were kind of adapting to an ever-changing position and they did seem to be, you know, trying to work in numbers and, and give themselves more options because of the terrain, I guess, Mitch. Well, I think at the end of it, it was just the strongest riders in the front, honestly. These were just the, the cream of the, the cream rose to the top. Um, you know, the group behind, the peloton, if you want to call it that, was just essentially the, the group of the strongest riders in the race. That's what it was and you know it's going to be such a great race. What we're going to see from now is... Who you saw in that breakaway today will be the riders featuring in the breakaways for the rest of the race. That's generally what happens in Grand Tours. You'll notice that you'll be like, you know, this guy's been in three breaks because they're just the strongest guys. They're in the best form. They're in this part of their, this this year, you know, is their year. And I'm, I'm sure the ride we saw from Nealens today, that's not the end of his Tour de France today. I feel like he's going to feature again in another break. Nick Schultz probably as well, you know, Bilbao. These guys in that move, you know, I think also Esteban Chavez, great to see him riding really aggressively. That's not really his style. And I think, you know, with losing them, losing Carapaz, it's really opened up the team to do things like this. So I think we're going to see, you know, mark my words, or I'll be wrong, I guess, all these riders are going to feature later in the race again. Well, Ian, you spoke to Esteban Chavez at the finish. He rides, of course, for EF Education and... It's not really the territory that we see Chavez. He's normally thought of as a mountain climber. He would be a GC rider in the Giro. This is only his third Tour de France, and I was slightly surprised to see him in a move on a day like today. But let's hear what he said at the finish. Yeah, it was pretty tough, tough one. And it's to be an artist to be at the front, you know. It's about guts, balls, and, you know, grinta, like uh, Italian says. So... It's uh, really disappointing for me to be there and try to win a stage at the Tour de France the first time in my life. But we have some opportunities to come and more 
a stage adaptable uh, at my characteristics, you know. So one thing is characteristic for myself is resilience and also this team is really a fighter. We are ambassadors of our country. We are really proud and wear this jersey for me is really special. And yeah, mom, dad, <laughs> we are in the Tour de France. <laughs> Tell yourself proud in your country. Thank you very much. Today was definitely a day that maybe surprised a lot of the, even the climbers. You know, you look at what happened on that final climb, riders like Kwiatkowski and Skelmos going out the back and, you know, Ben O'Connor, you know, who's finished fourth in the tour, he was up there. So I don't think in the end it was really a surprise that someone like Chavez was actually in that front group at the end because it was just a really hard day. Um, but I was a bit surprised as well to hear that, you know, he hadn't really contested a, a Grand Tour or a Tour de France stage win because he's a rider that, you know, looking back on his career, he's had some phenomenal results. But I guess, you know, his first time actually trying to go for a tour stage win, which, as you heard, clearly means a lot for him, you know, closing it out, telling his mom and dad he made it to the tour, you know, he's still happy to be here. And I, and I think also happy to kind of have returned to kind of his best self and, and be at that level again. Well, Mitch, you said that it's the strong riders that make it into the front group on a day like today, and obviously that's true, but Israel Premier Tech, they had two strong riders in there, and having a teammate does make it a little bit easier to well to force the issue and Nick Schultz played a key role in Nylands getting away and you spoke to him at the finish to be honest I'm just gutted for Chris um, I was hearing the the updates on the radio there and he you know he was sort of holding 15 seconds 15 seconds and he was so strong today um, and we could see that from the start um, he was in like absolutely everything from kilometer zero um, in the end I was in the move then he came across um, and when you got a guy on a day like that, you just got to back him and, and go all in, you know. So um, I was also feeling good. Um, and uh, in my mind, I made the call after seeing how good he looks that if we also use my good legs, then our strength in numbers, maybe we can do some damage on that final climb and, and get ahead. So I made the call over the radio um, and said I'd light it up at the bottom and, and set him up. And honestly, when I pulled off and like looked at him, I thought, this guy's going to win. He looked so good. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, we did a great race and that's all we can do. And I think if we keep riding like this, then we might get another stage win. Schultze, just lastly, mate, that integral move on the climb in the crosswind. Whose idea was that? That set Nayland up for almost a unbelievable victory. Unfortunately, it didn't quite come off. Tell me about your role there on that last climb. Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, that was completely my idea, actually. I'll claim it. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean... Like I said just before, um, you know, sometimes you just see it in someone's eyes that they're, they're just going so well. And, and Chris has been brilliant from day one here and he really deserved, I think, like the backing from me today because I didn't have that sense. Like I had good legs, but I didn't have that sensation of like, oh, I'm going to ride away from guys today, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's only fair to give a guy the opportunity um, when he has legs like that and... And when we were on that descent into the final climb, that long descent, I, I said over the radio to, to Rick Verbrugger, our director, that I was going all in for Chris at the start of the climb um, and that he needed to go um, because ultimately that's, that's where the guys with the strong legs can, can make the differences on the uphill. Tell me lastly, the team looks like it's taken so much confidence from that victory of Woodsy, or has this just been the general feeling throughout the whole tour, but now it's fi finally coming to fruition? Yeah, I think it's it's been the general feeling. I mean, right from day one, um, you know, Woodsy was right up there on day one. We also had Corbin and Dylan there on day one, day two. Um, you know, I, there's a really good vibe in the group. And, and actually, we're just... The team's been built to go after stages. We don't have a sprinter. We don't have a GC rider. Um, so we're going after stages. And, and uh, I think it's a pretty good way to build a team at the Tour de France. I really wanted to ask Schultze about that move that he did because, for me, I could see, you know, Nick there's two things there where you say it's good having a teammate in the front group but it's also good having a teammate who's willing to commit for you so and that's what Nick said he said look I was happy because I knew I didn't have the legs he had great legs he's in that move he's in the move of the best riders but he knew his legs weren't good enough to win and he could see his teammates had better legs and I want to ask him about that specific move and I love that he said you know that was my idea. He owned it because, yeah, I love that. He's just like, no, nah, it wasn't anyone else's idea. That was mine. He set his teammate up for the victory. And that shows me how well that team's really gelling. You know, and I was alluding to, you know, uh, is it because of Woodsy's win or, you know, what's the go here? So, no, we've just been like that the whole time, but it's just coming through right now. So 
Really cool, really cool to see. And um, Nick Schultz had a bit of a funny way into that team. I think only signing that contract very, very late in the year in December. And he's really felt fallen into that role in that team really well at the Tour de France and riding awesome. Obviously, it didn't quite come off for Israel Premier Tech today, and we should just talk a little bit more about Peo Bilbao because I suppose he fits into the same bracket as Esteban Chavez for me in that he is a Grand Tour style of rider who's taken an opportunity on a stage that really, at best, you would describe as medium mountains, but the climbing today really, really added up. Yeah, I did. I think it was over 3,000 metres of climbing. Um, and in a relatively short stage, you know, it's good that Bilbao won because now he's climbed the ladder of you know GC so he's not going to have the chance to you know to go up the road like he did today so you know to get that stage win and to move up in the GC an incredibly successful day for Bahrain yeah good point I mean if he hadn't won the stage he'd have scuppered his chances because he yeah. has moved right up in the GC again and uh, well anyone else to mention in that group I mean Warren Barguil in there we haven't seen him uh, moving quite that well for a long while I mean ninth over on the stage in the end um, but we'll talk a little bit more about Julian Alaphilippe who is very active today for Sudal Quickstep in the next part yeah the cycling podcast at the 2023 Tour de France is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Stephen Moon, the chief executive of Science in Sport, says that their support of the Tour de Lunsar is for the medium to long term. But what are they planning to do over the next couple of years to help the race build its profile and improve racing conditions for the athletes taking part? We're in it for the long term. I think where we've done prize funding and some kind of PR and hiring time equipment, I think we've got to help the group build more and more infrastructure. I think we can do a bit more with raising awareness. I think a couple more trade sponsors probably need to step up and, and um, it, it would be nice to see some of the rest of the industry. And I, and I know there are worthwhile causes everywhere, but, you know, a, a couple of us could do a bit more. But then I think the biggest thing we could do is just put a bit of pressure on the UCI. If they applied a tiny amount of their attention and resource, it could change the game. You know, it could really, really change the game. So this isn't about any... This isn't about massive amounts of money being needed. It's just about these uh, these women and men getting some attention from us. You know, they, 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 there's more than enough determination and dedication. If you look at the hours and graft, the hard work that somebody like Kareem puts in, there's not a lack of passion. Um, we just need some more awareness around the place. Well, chaps, today's stage went through the town of Perrier, where the sparkling water comes from. Good job, too. Our second pint of sparkling water has arrived for the second part of the podcast. And, well, we should talk about Sudal Quickstep because I was doing a little bit of the statistics. They are still without a stage win, of course. And, well, last year they got off the mark on day one, Yves Lampart. The year before, the same with Julian Alaphilippe. And you have to go back to 2014 when Tony Martin won stage nine for Etix Quickstep for the last time that it took this long for Patrick Lefebvre's team to win a stage of the tour. The last time they didn't win a stage at all was in 2012. Normally they get off the mark very early because they've had top sprinters, Cavendish, uh, Marcel Kittel, even Fernando Gaviria who won the opening stage in 2018. And Alaphilippe, of course, in his pomp was reliable for the sort of stage that we saw today. And, well, Alaphilippe was up the road. He was away with Mohoric pretty early on, maybe too early on, but they look like a team that's really trying to force something to happen at the mm. moment. Yeah, you, I, I'm, we've said it a few times this week um, on the podcast and also off, is that you can feel it. You can feel the tension there, the way they're racing. It doesn't really look like the cool, calm, collected quick step where they sort of make these decisive attacks and it all it's all over. I think they're really missing Jakobsen there as, as their leader, as their anchor, you know. And as, as we've seen in a lot of teams, once they get that first victory, it opens it up. And I think we just see a different way that Alaphilippe will be riding. I really do. I know he's apparently not in his top form, but I also believe that it is because of this, this pressure to perform. To, they need to win. It's hanging all on him now. Um, and, you know, just having that Jakobsen there to be able to just relieve that pressure in a way. 
Yeah, I, I look personally on the outside. I feel it building up, and yeah, I'm not on the inside of the team, so I don't know. Well, and I think the team's also a little bit lost in a sense because you know Jakobsen had that crash the other day. He hasn't won a stage yet, and you know you saw today Lionel at the finish. You know they're putting riders around him to make sure that you know he's making it to the finish because you know tomorrow's a potential sprint day, but. And at the same time, they're sending riders who could be valuable lead-out riders, you know, or used to bring back a breakaway or to do the lead-out, sending them up the road to try to win a stage. So they're, they're kind of starting to split hairs to decide, okay, what – they're almost trying and chasing too hard because they don't really have anyone to, to rally around. You know, in the past, they've had a, a sprinter. They've had Alaphilippe. They've had a very distinct, you know, focus goal that everyone knows that they're buying into. And when you look at them this year, they are probably panicking, and they really don't know where to put their eggs. They don't know what basket to put them in. Are they going to win from the breakaway, or is Jakobsen going to come around and, and feel better and win one of these sprint stages? Yeah, I mean, I'd argue they don't quite know where the eggs are at the moment. They've got <laughs> the basket, they're looking for the eggs, and then when they find an egg, they've lost the basket again. Because, I mean, you say, uh, Fabio Jakobsen, yeah, Morkoff and Devenins were with him today, so that's three riders from the team that are just trying to survive and stay inside the time cut, which they did. As you say, Tim de Klerk, who's normally chasing breakaways on the sprint days to make sure that it ends in a sprint. He was in the break the other day. Remy Cavagna's kind of, you know, done sort of tippy-tappy stuff here and there. Casper Askreen looks a bit out of sorts. And then Julian Alaphilippe, not the same rider of, you know, the last two or three years. He's had uh, a difficult time. I spoke to Tom Steeles, one of the... Sudal Quickstep sports directors this morning and just asked him the simple question are they beginning to feel the pressure 10 days into the race no victory for a team that is used to not just winning one or two stages but really going home with a lot of stage wins how's Julian Alaphilippe going we've seen him in the break in the first week is this a week where you're hoping he's going to come better every day is better and better he's uh, really really getting better and better he just need that super day to go really for, for a good result and for the victory. But what I see from him, um, he recovers well, he's always there, he's always in the breaks, he's always motivated, so you feel also his legs are there. He can be disappointed if he misses a break or, or he just just couldn't couldn't do what he usually does. But the signs are good that he really is getting back to um, back to a top level. We cannot forget he was two years really with some setbacks. And uh, usually a condition goes over the long term so he doesn't miss a lot, maybe three, four percent. But on this level in the two, if you see how hard they go, those three, four percent you miss. And lastly, I mean, this team is used to winning Tour de France stages every year. Do you feel the pressure is starting to build up a bit? Yeah, of course, we're not used to this, but but it can happen. And you just, uh, you can never be disappointed if they try. If they don't try, you can be disappointed. But every day they were there, just maybe one day they missed it. But as long as they win the fight, as long as they laugh, as long as they, they're ready to go the other day again, then it is what it is. Sometimes uh, you win, sometimes you lose. And maybe we miss those three, four percent. Of course, the crash of Fabio really made us put ourselves in a very difficult situation. But it's not over yet. It would make the conversation with Patrick at the end of each day a little bit easier if the, you could get a stage win, though. Yeah, but, but in this kind of circumstance, also Patrick is calm. He just... As long as we try, there is no problem. If you see they just do whatever they want, then we have a problem. But then also we have a problem. No, no. For this point, we are really still uh, still in the game. I thought that was quite an un-Sudal quick-step line from Tom Steele's there. Happy that they're trying. Quickstep is not a team that's happy to try. Quickstep is a team that demands wins. We see Patrick Lefebvre, you know, he gets his report card out at the end of every classic season and every Tour de France. And I can't imagine he'll be too happy with the results, no matter how much they're putting into it. And they are undeniably putting a lot into the Tour and they're very visible, but nothing is coming off for them at the moment. Well, I can relate probably more so to the, the domestics or the lead-out man, Michael Morkov. It's a job that I was used to doing and you're... You're continually trying to justify your job and you know, show your work. And the way that your work gets seen a lot of the times is when your sprinter is performing or at least sprinting off your wheel and, and going for these sprints and they can see you. I really feel for Michael at the moment because he's getting to these sprints and you know Jakobsen isn't in his wheel anymore. So ultimately, he's probably asking himself the question, I need to show myself. I still need to put my results on the table, which is a good lead out, is... I know, and they're back there riding in the wind for him to get him through. So 
this pressure, like we're talking about, is mounting in all different ways. Not only to perform, but now the domestiques are also like, well, we need to show ourselves too. I wonder whether Mitch has got a wasp on his microphone there. It dealt with brilliantly there. Dealt with brilliantly. Um, I wonder, I mean, there's maybe a hint that Michael Morkoff might be in Astana's sightline as uh, if Mark Cavendish were to take up Vinukarov on the offer of one more year it, they're clearly going to need a few more resources I mean Vinukarov I think has seen the potential there with Cavendish the publicity around the chase for that 35th tour stage win Cavendish obviously he's going to be prioritizing uh, fixing his shoulder and collarbone and, and and getting back to full fitness before he even thinks about the question of whether or not to carry on for another year but Michael Morkoff, that would give him a really clearly defined job to do. And there might be a little bit of interest from Astana in Morkoff. Well, I, I think they really should. You know, they need to build that team up around the fact that Vino's gone out and said, hey, we want you on. He, he sees the value in Mark Cavendish. Morkoff and Cavendish worked very, very well together. I spoke with Mark Renshaw today. He didn't really lean either way. But he said it's going to be a difficult decision because he's still dealing with that and now suddenly someone's dangling a carrot in front of his nose. Um, you and, know, we, and we know that Cavendish loves racing, you know, for, for everything, you know, his demeanour sometimes. He is a competitive animal and it's a hard decision to call time on his career and it might be a tempting proposition to just go back with a bit more support behind him. I could see that being, being quite appealing. The other big story today was Wout van Aert and Matthew van der Poel going off the front of what remained of the peloton trying to bridge that two minute 30 gap I don't know what van Aert was actually trying to do was he genuinely trying to get across the gap for the stage win or was he trying to soften things up for Jonas Vingegaard to go on the more difficult climb towards the finish what did you yeah, think I, mean, I think everyone was a bit confused because they kind of just drifted off the front on a descent and the next thing you knew you know kind of the, the two best riders the two rivals that are always going head to head were off the front together and you know the gap wasn't really coming down either but they continued to kind of push on until eventually Vanderpool decided you know what this is what are we doing out here sat up but well continued to push on for a little bit and then you know at that point I thought okay maybe on the next climb Vingegaard is going to jump across and they have this master plan he's you know he's going to take some time on on Pogachar, but you know, that clearly wasn't the plan either I think Evan was a bit confused because it wasn't an easy day to put in an effort like that so late after all the work he had done early in the stage as well. I mean, it made it the hottest Tour of Flanders ever, seeing Van Aert <laughs> and Van der Poel away on that descent. Um, well, Van Aert did speak at the finish. The cat is out of the bag, so to speak. Van Aert's wife is expecting a baby. And the speculation is, I think this comes from Matthias Gelmoser of Lidl Trek. I mean, I don't know whether this speculation comes from him, but the speculation is that the speculation comes from him, that maybe Van Aert might go home if well he will go home if his wife goes into labor but the rumor was that he, this might have been his last day on the tour de france but this is what van art said at the team buses this evening i guess there's no news for you guys that my my wife is uh, pregnant again and we, we expect a, a boy so uh, yeah i just uh, did a quick call to my wife to to check if everything's all right and uh, luckily she, she's doing well so uh, I don't know where, where it's coming from, but uh, I'm in, in the tour and uh, hopefully as long as possible. When is it due exactly? When's the boy due? Uh, at least after the Tour de France. Would you leave the tour if she gave birth early? Yeah, that's a no-brainer for me. Has this been a more stressful Tour de France than other tours? Because you know that whenever you get back to the bus, you might get that call. <laughs> Uh, it's, a, it's a different kind of stress, yeah, that's true. But uh, on the other hand, it's uh, it's still a super hectic bike race and there's so much going on that once I'm on the bike, I'm able to uh, to focus completely on, uh, on riding. Did you know the rumors were brewing? I mean, do you know how this all started? Oh, yeah. Luckily, my, my team director informed me in the last part of the race. So uh, I was a bit prepared for it and I was happy that I uh, could make the call and it was just a rumor. So uh, maybe there's some guys in the peloton who wants me to go home. <laughs> I'm not a Grand Tour rider, you might have noticed, you two are. I mean, I don't want to get too uh, anatomical about this, but it's an odd time for a world-class cyclist to be expecting a baby. I, d I don't want to say, I don't want to get into oh, sort of weird areas here. I've, I've gone there. Very well. I've right. gone there. I've, uh, I don't know. 
I, I must admit, I thought about it. Don't have a baby that's due in July. It will mess with your career. Well, I mean, you know, I, yeah, sorry, Ian. Well, I, mean, I, guess, I mean, the, the team also took him to this race knowing that this was a possibility. You know, they only have eight riders to take, and they took that gamble in knowing that this could potentially happen, but he's still worth having here to, to help the team. And, you know, kids come all sorts of different times. You know, his kid yeah. could come three weeks late or two weeks early. We no, I mean, no one really knows. Very true. I, I, I like that, the fact that, because I get the feeling that Van Aert's life is... Cycling, 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 cycling. He's from Belgium. He's the king of Belgium. He does cyclocross. He does road. We all know the story. And he hasn't planned a baby to work around the cycling life. I love that. Finally, it's like, you know, life is bigger than cycling. You know, I, I think it would have, if it would have been the other way around, it would have fit all perfectly and all that. That would have been too good a story for you know the the cycling story i love that he's he, there is a bit of normal normal sort of stuff side to him um and then on the other note it could work out perfectly finish the tour baby arrives and he has a bit of time off and he can be just you know it's the world championships it's well i mean that's that, i mean that's the thing when you look at his calendar when would you have a baby that's because true. i mean he goes straight from <laughs> yeah, the tour well, okay, to, yeah. to I mean, world champs and then he's got cyclocross season and then then the spring classics so i mean maybe the tour de france is like the lowest priority in his season <laughs> <laughs> or maybe yeah he's got to plan it so the baby arrives on the day of the grand prix la marseille or something a race that that he's never going to take part in um what about Roman Bardet then? Because he was up the road at one point and then off the back. We wondered whether he was struggling. At the finish, the Team DSM race coach, Matt Winston, explained all. Yeah, his legs were really good in the start. Uh, you also saw he was putting some pressure on there over the first the first climb. Um, the thing is, when it's this hot, um, you pay for those efforts. And uh, yeah, we were in a really solid group, really good group there that was pulling pretty hard. And once it caught he just kind of just had to catch his breath again for, for kind of a few minutes there like at five minutes where he probably overcooked himself a little bit gone really in the red uh when it pays off you're in the front of the race all day and you make massive steps on the gc so it, it's a little bit of a gamble and then kind of when he got caught he was kind of on the limit there um he was ended up in the second group but also you see guys like van Aert also did the same they were also in the front and then also in that group and the team did a fantastic job to stay calm, keep him cool, and bring him back to the peloton. The heat's 40 degrees, and uh, that takes its toll on the body, you know, and I, I think we came through it in an okay way in the end. It could have been a really good day, but also in a, in a moment it could have been a disaster, but I think we came through okay, and uh, we're still racing for GC, which is our goal here. Well, pretty clear, Roman Bardet, like a lot of us today, quite literally went into the red. The effort of trying to go up the road, overheated, got into difficulty and they took the sensible decision to just calm things down, try and cool down, get some bottles, rehydrate, not panic, get teammates around him and then get him back into, into the group and he didn't lose any time. But a real hot day on the Tour de France and it's these kind of days that catch people out maybe later on in the race. Perhaps, you know, if the weather changes, um, it will ease up a bit. But Mitch, you spoke to your very good friend Luke Durbridge at the finish too. On tour with Luke Durbridge. Oh man, so hot. Just from the beginning. Uh, I mean, it's not often you see top three in GC go away in the first breakaway of the day. Yeah, and then it was just sort of messy. Just a messy day, like up and down. And actually reminded us of Tour of Britain, really. Just like, but just 40 degrees. So anyway, we just sort of tried to limit our losses because Bill Bauer was up there. Uh, didn't really necessarily want to bring it back, but just didn't want to give him too much time, you know. What's your feeling like when you see like a group like that go off the front, GC guys and everything? Personally, what are you thinking? Uh-oh. Uh, we had Lawson and Simon in it originally, so we were happy, actually. We had two guys in there, so that's fine. Simon was good, he nipped into it. And then after that, it was probably about 40 guys, and we had another, me and Simon in that one. So we always had Simon covered, which was good. And then the group came back and we fine. There's just like riding GC is just ticking off the stages really, isn't it? Like and today was just such a such a big day to tick off because anything could have happened, crosswind, everything, you know, so wild. What do you predict what's gonna happen with the bunch tomorrow? We reckon like everyone's just gonna be like, come on guys, let's just seriously calm down a bit. <sighs> no, the desperation just ramps up, mate. It just gets more ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs>
Kilometre Zero at the 2023 Tour de France is available for Friends of the Podcast subscribers. There's an archive of more than 100 special episodes with new ones released throughout the year, and an annual subscription costs about the same as buying a cup of coffee a month. If you want to, you can pay more. For the first time, you can also sign up with a monthly subscription, so if you just want to see what it's all about, that might be the best option for you. Go to thecyclingpodcast.com and once you've subscribed, you'll get an email with instructions for how to add the feed to your favourite podcast app in just a few clicks. Support The Cycling Podcast by becoming a friend of the podcast. Well, the tour resumed after its rest day and the memory of the fantastic stage on Le Puy de Dome was obviously still fresh in all of our minds this morning. The two protagonists, the stage winner Mike Woods of Israel Premier Tech and Matteo Jorgensen of Movistar. Well, it was that pursuit race in the final four kilometres, an extraordinary finish to the stage. And Mitch and Ian, you spoke to both of them at the start this morning just to get their perspective. And there's some quite surprising revelations here because I think us watching it, we assumed that they knew an awful lot more about what was going on around them than they actually did. Well, Matteo, we're uh, still in the shadow of Puy de Dame. You had a rest day yesterday. How are you feeling after uh, the effort? Cooked, a bit cooked. Uh, thank God there was a rest day yesterday. Um, but no, I mentally was a little bit down after the after the stage. But yeah, looking back yesterday, I think I did everything I could. I have to be proud of that. And um, so yeah, it gave me a bit of a boost of of confidence because going into this race, I really thought my form was pretty bad. And still, I'm definitely far from the form I had in the spring. But I think I saw the other day that it's good enough to do something. Mike Woods, probably one of the most epic stage wins I've witnessed. Maybe it's because I know you, but maybe it's because of the way you did it. First of all, tell me what you were thinking when Matteo went up the road 50k to go and got that minute straight away. Uh, when he went, it was one of those moves that you see you go and you're like, that's it. That's the one. And I was like pretty gutted when I saw him go because I just knew everyone was kind of cooked already when he went. And so it was a hard one to tag. And then uh, and uh, I knew he'd get a gap and I just wished I went with him. And so when he, after he went, I was just kind of kicking myself. And uh, the rest of the group was kind of teaming up on me just because I feel like everyone kind of targeted me for the, that climb. And I wasn't playing my cards super well. I ended up way, way far back going into that base of that climb. Wow, you could have fooled me because it looked like you were cool, calm and collected all in the end. What about when the gap went to 2 minutes 15? I think it was with about 4K to go. Were you not freaking out? They didn't even tell me on the radio. They were, too, they were like, oh, we're not going to discourage him. And I, I honestly I couldn't hear anything until 4K to go. The clouds were so crazy, and then all of a sudden it was like crazy change of atmosphere where you had this like big crowd, and then all of a sudden nothing. And uh, no, I think once I, I knew the gap was big, I knew uh, I had a big gap to overcome, but I didn't really think about the win at that point. I just thought, okay, I'm just going to time trial to the top, and then whatever result I get is that that's the result. Who cares? I'll just go all in. So you didn't know when when Woods was coming up on you, you had no radio contact with the team. No, zero, zero. As soon as we got on the steep part, they stopped the cars um, because it was so narrow that guys couldn't pass and they had to have let the cars behind the breakaway. So I had no information at all, just my power numbers and uh, the pain in my legs. I mean, that's that's it. What about when you could see him in, in the distance? Tell me about what it was like mowing him down. I still didn't think I had him until 800 meters to go. Like, uh, I could see him, I could see him, I could see him. But it just was, I wasn't making up too much time. And, you know, there was only like 1.5K to go once I started to see him. But then at 800 to go, I, I really started getting this, like, I could, I could smell the blood in the water kind of thing. And uh, that's when I just went and all in. And uh, when, I, when I hit him and he didn't respond, it was like this amazing moment. That last 300 meters, was it just then, at, only at that moment, like you said, the amazing moment, you, could you feel it all? Or was it only until you went across the line? No, I could feel it all then. I gave the thumbs up to the camera, smiled. Then I realized, man, what if I blow up in this last, because the last 100 meters was super steep. If I blow up now, I'm going to look like an idiot. But no, I crossed the line and uh, it was a huge relief because it's kind of something I've talked about doing for ages is winning a stage of the tour. It's been my, my career, one of my career goals. Put a lot of pressure on myself and to uh, be you know, the age that I'm at. Um, that window of opportunities dwindling. I'd only have you know a few more years left in my career, and uh, to finally get it was just release. Well, we're only less than halfway through this race. Rest up. You're gonna another stage on the calendar. You've got your eye on. 
Yeah, stage 12 would be, stage 12 suits me the best out of all the stages of this tour, so I really hope to be there. Um, today, also, I mean, the team we have here, we have to all try to be in the break. In the end, it's luck which break goes, so we all have to participate and help each other. And yeah, if I find myself there today, I'll go for it, but I'm hoping that I'll be in the, in the peloton today. Yeah, well, I think it was cool to hear that, you know, I know there was some debate about the fact that there were no fans up at the top of the climb, and maybe some people thought it was a little bit boring. I actually enjoyed it because I'm, as a racer myself, I enjoyed watching the racing side of it, and to hear that they also had no communication, and Mateo had no idea how far back uh, Woods was, and Woods didn't know how far Mateo was, you know, it really was just a pure human effort, and I, and mm. I really love that side of the sport. I guess maybe it's because I've been doing some gravel racing now, and, and it is more back to, like, the roots of cycling where you're racing yourself as much as you're racing your competition. You don't have all the information available. It was also perfect because it was on the Puy de Dom. Like, it was just, like, this iconic climb, this, you know, big story around it, and we almost went back in time. You know, these guys, even though we didn't know it at the time, just hearing this interview afterwards and speaking to the guys, you hear it went back to the tradition. Everyone was just, they were just racing, you know. Mateo, he didn't even look behind. Woodsy, he didn't even know if he was going to get it. He didn't even know if he could catch him when he could see him. There was no radio communication, just came back to old instincts. Yeah, I think it really kind of rode a coach and horses through the assumption that the riders are somehow on a remote control and the car, the team car, is giving them all of the information they need and just telling them pedal harder. I mean, there's a lot more to it than that. And, I mean, I think we even heard today, we had a little snippets from the Israel Premier Tech team car all that was really coming through the radio that we heard was uh, the encouragement. I mean, I would have assumed that they would have been giving Nayland's time checks or maybe they wouldn't because, uh, you know, it works both ways that, doesn't it? If you tell him, oh, it's 30 seconds and then you tell him it's 20 seconds, that might deflate and demoralise mm. a rider and then you, you're, you're actually working against your own, um, your own rider. So it's about supplying the right information at the right time, I guess, on the radio. Yeah, and I think that's where a good director comes into play of knowing what to say and when to say it because you can easily discourage a rider by you know, lo telling them they're losing time, but they could still make it. So that's when you oftentimes see a director change tone and be like, hey, don't look back. Look, you know, The race happens ahead of you, not behind you, unless you're Mateo Jorgensen and all of a sudden Woods comes up pretty quickly behind <laughs> you. And, and then you don't just finish you know, second. You know, he got passed pretty quickly and, and finished off the podium. The thing is, I don't get the impression that if Jorgensen had known that Woods was catching him that it would have made any difference I mean he was absolutely on his limit anyway but two great rides and great to hear both of their perspectives there O'Reilly oh, 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 You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast No matter what you need we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart the professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. L'étape de demain, le dîner d'hier. Tomorrow's stage, yesterday's dinner. Mitch, probably the least said about last night's dinner, the better from my point of view. I went for the sauerkraut. As you said afterwards, quite an eccentric decision down here in the mm. massive central. Uh, normally sauerkraut with all of the pork products on top is good but all of the various sausage pieces they all just tasted the same they just tasted kind of bland the sauerkraut with a bit watery pretty, the boiled potatoes were too hard you're pretty heavy on the sausage order I've noticed you do yeah. like your sausages <laughs> I, I have had sausages about three days in four I need yeah, a bit of a break from the sausages I don't want yeah, the perfect snag it's been a, it's been an accident I haven't I haven't set out <laughs> haven't set out to do this but we should talk at length about last night's darts match oh god <laughs> this will be about two Just seconds let's not waste any more time <laughs> the king of hearts got up it was good to see him get up get his on yo once again I will remind everyone he is using my darts um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it was a pretty dismal performance. But we introduced the Jack of Clubs. That would well, do. I just made that name up then, Boz. There we go. Works. Boz, what's your, what's your playing name? Jack of Clubs works. I mean, we, we had a question mark on the board last night for my name. I mean, maybe after a game tonight we'll come up with a, a proper name. Uh, yeah, the least said about my double one finish, the better as well. But what's on the menu for the Tour de France tomorrow, Mitch? Well, we're starting in Clermont-Ferrand. 
And it is, look, it is a sprint stage tomorrow, but oh, it, if I was looking at this as a sprinter or a lead-out man, it's a tough sprint stage because it is pretty lumpy all day. We've got three Cat 4s, the sprint after 70K. Look, it, it, the brake should roll off fairly easy tomorrow because the first climb doesn't happen until about 31 kilometres. It's 180 kilometres, or 179.8, and they're heading all the way across to Mullins. Um, look, I hope it's a sprint stage. I love sprint stages. Boz, you're laughing at my pronunciation. I mean, I've just been listening to this podcast the whole time and hearing you pronounce French names, <laughs> and it's been great. I've been I'm, glad that, I'm glad that Lionel hasn't even corrected you. I've right, been too light to go. So, Moulin. Tomorrow's stage is from Clermont-Ferrand to Moulin. Moulin? Moulin. Moulin. Think Moulin. of Moulin Rouge. Almost. Don't pronounce the S. Moulin. Okay. Yeah. But... It's a sprint stage for the sprinters that can get over the climbs well. I mean, to me, this has got Jasper Phillips and number four written all over it. Anyone else want to well, take think an also, advance on that? I think also because the final, look, it is lumpy, but there's no big, big climbs in the end. And I think the way the teams will ride it will be controlling it at the end. Um, I do think it'll be an, a normal bunch sprint tomorrow. It'll be a tough one um, and it will suit. Look, at the end of the day, we've done 10 days of racing. It's a different sprint now. Guys are getting tired, especially after today. So I think a guy like Caleb Ewan is going to come back into the mix. I think he has... Okay, I know he came in the last group today. But well, that's maybe just, that was calculated. I mean, I, we know Jakobsen was in the group because of his crash and his injuries. Maybe Ewan was just saving his legs as much as possible. As much as possible. I, I totally think it's a strategic move. I also think after the difficulty of today, a full-on racing all day and then watch to come over the back end of the week and the weekend. It could be one of those stages where the, it's a one- or two-man break and we all just take a deep breath and wait for the last 10 kilometres and tune in then. But who knows, this Tour de France has been pretty surprising here and there. Mitch, it's also your last day with us on the cycling podcast for this year's tour. So Today? tomorrow, no, tomorrow oh. is. Tomorrow is. We're talking I didn't realise you were cutting me free early. No, you, you can just do the driving tomorrow if you want, Mitch. Well, I am going to pass the baton to Boz for the stage reviews tomorrow. Um, and I'll be listening intently to his pronunciation. <laughs> well, we got one more day and we got one more round of darts tonight. Oh, yeah. Looking forward to it. Well, thank you very much, Mitch. We will, well, we'll give you a proper send-off tomorrow. But thank you for now. Thank you. And welcome and thank you, Ian. Thank you, Lionel. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb, and Lionel Burney.